0: Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Kings chapter 4. Several weeks ago, we learned about something really exciting. A barren woman is given a child. Remember that? A barren woman. Naomi, do you know what it means to be barren? It means she couldn't have any babies. She couldn't have any children. But yet God opened her womb and gave her a child. And you remember, time went by, and that little boy got sick. And Shalom, what happened to him? Did he recover from his sickness? No, he died. He got sick in the morning and he died by noon. And his mother went to someone who remembers. Edith, you know, who did his mother go to? Elisha. Yes, Elisha. And she came to Elisha and she begged him. to come, come. And remember, she said over and over that it is well, it is well, even though the child was dead. Elisha came back to the house. He went into that upper chamber. He stretched himself upon that child. And what happened? Hope what happened. He sneezed seven times. Now tell me, Charlie, do dead people sneeze? No, they don't. So what's that mean? He came back to life. Isn't that right, Gavin? Yes, he came back to life. You see, God has the power to raise dead and sometimes we read accounts like this and they somewhat become commonplace to us because we read about it happening to the to in the days of elijah and now in the days of elisha uh, we learn about it in the days of jesus but you know the truth is it didn't happen very often it was pretty rare And when it did happen, it happened for important reasons. It was a big deal. Does God still raise people from the dead? He sure does. We're kind of... Sorrowful this morning, aren't we? But you know, we have hope. Because death for Mr. Foltz was the gateway to heaven. And though his body is still here, he's not here. And one day, as we read over in 1 Thessalonians... He's going to be resurrected. And these resurrections actually aren't as special as that one. You know what I mean? Do you know why this one's not so special? You know that all of us who are Christians can look forward to a resurrection that is a bigger deal than this one? Anybody have any guesses why? Why? This little boy who died and was resurrected, have you met him, Nathan? Well, if he was resurrected, he'd still be alive, right? And if you were still alive, you'd probably meet him, right? I'm playing with you. No, he died again. Yes, he was resurrected, but he died again. In fact, out of all of the resurrections, except for one major exception, the people died again. And we might count the first fruits of that day as well. Jesus is the one who died and was resurrected and never died again. Very likely those others of the first fruits, the same thing happened. But um, all the other resurrections, the one that happened in the days of Elijah, the one here that's happened in the days of Elisha, they died again. But we can look forward to the day when there will be a resurrection that will be a resurrection to immortality. That means never die again. That's something to get excited about, isn't it? It's something that we can comfort one another in. Just as 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us of it. There's, there's going to be the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's exciting. Well, you know what? When people rise from the dead, people start talking. People start talking. Who wants to be a king this morning? Anybody want to be a king? Nobody wants to be a king? Gavin, you want to be a king? Yeah, come on up here. Now, this is a king of Israel, and we don't know his name. This king, this, this particular time in history, we don't know how it all plays together. I think I can make this small enough. Does it fit? Oh, yeah, I can make it even for a smaller head. There we go. We have this king. You know What? News began to spread throughout the kingdom that Elisha raised someone from the dead. Now, do you think that would be exciting news? And you know what? Your majesty, there's this guy who was there and saw it. You want to know about it? Do you read your script? Well, let me tell you. Who remembers Gehazi? Oh, good. Some of you remember Gehazi. Who remembers what and who Gehazi was? Brother Ray? He was Elisha's servant, yes. Gehazi was the one who was there that day when that little boy was raised from the dead. He was the one who brought the staff and laid it beside him. Well, here's Gehazi. And uh, you see Gehazi, and you have a request for him. What's, what's your request? It says there that the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And he said to him, can you read it, or do I need to read your part for you? Did you hear that? Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And so Gehazi, he starts telling them. He starts telling them about all these amazing things that Elisha has done. And as he's going through, somebody comes into the room. Well, i got to give you some background. So while they're talking, and Gehazi's telling them all the details, um... I I need someone who wants to volunteer to be the Shunammite woman. Who wants to be her? Our original one um, is gone. She's on vacation this week. But who wants to be her this week? Who wants to fill in for her? Who wants a substitute? Anybody want a substitute? Which one? Edith? Yes, come, Edith. Oh, I didn't see your hand. Your hand was hiding behind a head. Oh. Well, you're the mother of that boy, right? You had a little boy. He died, and Elisha raised him from the dead. Well, you know what happened in the intervening years? It's implied that your husband died. Did you have a good husband? But he's dead now. He's dead now. And something's going to happen in the kingdom. And Elisha has a message for this widow woman whose son he had restored to life. And he says to her, Arise, and go thou and thine household, and sojourn, whereso thou thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. A seven-year famine. Do you know what a famine is? A famine means no food grows. Do you think that would be very good? What would you do if no food grew? You would starve. So he's telling you there's going to be a famine for how many years? How many years? Seven years. Seven years. Now, us here in America, when we hear about famines, it doesn't make a huge deal. Because you know what we do? We just ship it in from a different part of the world that doesn't have a famine. We really do. We actually do have famines in different regions of the United States. We haven't had one here in many, many years, but we do have famines in different regions. But generally, we just ship it in from different places. Well, in this case, she's being warned of a famine, and there's no options of shipping food in. And Elijah's warning her of this. And so he tells her to go to a place where she can sojourn. And I imagine he gave her some more details of where there wouldn't be a famine, and she could go. But you know what? It meant leaving her home. And you remember, you had that really nice house, didn't you? And you built that special room for Elisha, didn't you? You're going to leave it. You're going to go to a foreign land. And you're going to live in a foreign land for seven years. So it tells us that the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines. For seven years, you went to live with the enemy. She went with her whole household. I, I suspect that her husband was dead, even at the beginning. Well, it tells us in verse 3, 2 Kings 8:3, that it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. And you know what had happened? Someone else had come and taken your house and all of your fields, all of your farm. It's gone. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Her house is gone. Her farm is gone. Sorry, Nathan. And what's she going to do? Well, it tells us that when she came back, She went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. She was gonna come to the king and ask the king to do something about it. Now, this is actually kind of interesting because you remember some time ago when Elisha was so thankful for the room that she had made for him that she said, What can I do for you? Can I speak to the commander? on your behalf? Can I speak to the king on your behalf? Remember that? And she said, no, no. I live at peace with my own people. Well, now the time has come and she's not at peace with her own people. Someone of her own people has taken her house and has taken her land. And I wonder if she went to you and said, hey, can I take you up on that favor? Can you set me up with the king? I don't know. Elisha's not mentioned. He's gone. She goes straight to the king. Well, when she comes into the king, Gehazi is telling the king about how Elisha had restored a dead body to life. That, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her lands. Can you say, O king, help me? Oh, help me. And, and the Gehazi sees her. Gehazi sees her and, and he turns to his king and, and, and he says to him, My lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. That's pretty. Have you ever met somebody raised from the dead? Where's your son? Is there somebody Oh, we'll just go without it. you get to meet him. And she's come here just at the perfect time. I mean, it was at the very moment that Gehazi was talking about her, that she comes into the king with this request. And so the king asked her what, what she was crying to him for. And she told him. So the king... He appointed unto her a certain officer. He gave her a special liaison person to help her. And this was the instruction to that officer. There it is. Restore it. It's all going to come back to you. So you're going to get all that was yours and all the fruits of the field. You know what that means? That means that all of the harvests that have come in since she's been gone, which wasn't a lot because there's been a seven-year famine, and I imagine she came home pretty quick, but maybe not, after the famine, and it's all going to be restored to her. Isn't that exciting? Now, look at all of how this plays out. This is something we call providence. Have you ever heard that word? Have you ever heard that word? Have you ever heard that word? Providence? How about you, Gavin? Do you know what the word providence is? Well, when we use the word providence, what we mean is that God is working things out in the background. He's working out the details in the background. You see, it wasn't just happening and a coincidence that Gehazi was telling the king about her at this very moment. It wasn't a coincidence, it was providence. That means that God organized this all to happen at just the right moment, at just the right time so that everything could be worked out. Isn't that awesome? And you know what? He still does that kind of thing today. And we just have to keep our eyes open for it. And when it happens, we need to rejoice and give praise and thanks to God. It happens all the time. God is working out all the little details behind the scenes just so. Isn't that exciting? Now, I have something else that I'd like to to, to share with you. You see what's going on here with the king and Gehazi. Gehazi, you're telling all this news about Elisha, and the king is hearing it. Now, what would happen if Gehazi was just not willing to talk, or he was shy or ashamed to share? all that God had done through Elisha I got a question for you you, do you know somebody who can raise people from the dead do you I do I know someone who can raise people from the dead I know someone who can raise every one of you from the dead and Not only do I know someone who can do it, I can tell you exactly how he can do it and will do it. Do you know somebody like that? I do too. We know Jesus, and Jesus is the one who raises people from the dead. So we need to not be shy. Because we can tell everyone, everyone about the one who raises people from the dead. The one who can raise you and 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 and everyone from the dead. So we shouldn't be ashamed, should we? We should be bold and tell people about Jesus. Because he died for the sins of all the world. He was buried and he rose again the third day. So that he can forgive sins. And so that he can give everlasting life. To all those who believe, trust in him. And so, Gehazi was the servant of the man of God. Now you notice, this is in 2 Kings chapter. Eight. How much time passed from chapter 4? I don't know. And we're going to bounce back to chapter 5. Did chapter 8 happen after chapter 5? I don't know. It's likely impossible that it didn't. So, thank you, your majesty. I don't know which king of Israel you are, but we're all done with this part. Thank you so much, might woman. You can go sit down. And now we're going to go back to chapter 5. Because we've got another piece of history about Gehazi. Another piece of history about Gehazi that we didn't finish last time. Do you remember the Syrian general? Who remembers the Syrian general? Does anybody remember? Who remembers his name? That's right, Naaman. Here he is. The Syrian general. General. What was his problem? Who remembers? What was his problem? He had leprosy. And who told him or told his wife about the man of God in Israel? A servant girl. A Jewish slave girl who had been captured. She was one of those telling people about somebody who could raise people from the dead. And guess what? Leprosy was as good as being dead. In fact, you remember when he came to Israel and he marched into the royal throne room of the king of Israel and he says, proclaims to him this letter saying, heal this man of his leprosy. The king of Israel is like, this is mischief. Do they think I can raise people from the dead? Because that's how hard it was. There was no cure for leprosy. It was as if he was a dead well, you remember that the king of Syria sent Naaman with riches, millions of dollars of silver, royal garments, clothing, riches, to pay this magician, the sorcerer, this healer in Israel. But you remember that Elisha didn't even come out and greet him. Didn't even come out and greet him. Instead, he sent a messenger and told him, go to Jordan and dip in the Jordan River seven times. Did you do it? Were you healed of your leprosy? He was. And you remember, he came back to Elisha, and he wanted to pay him for all his services. He was so thankful. Did Elisha accept the payment? Yes or no? No. In fact, if you look at verse 16, even when Naaman urged him, it says that Elisha refused. And so Naaman began his journey back to Syria. And it wasn't just one guy. He came with a whole entourage of people to Israel. And so this whole entourage is on its way back to Syria. And Gehazi He starts thinking, why did Elisha turn down all that silver, all those changes of clothes? So he's thinking. He's thinking to himself. Behold, my master hath spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. He's bummed out. Elisha passed up a great deal. A great opportunity. Well, I wonder, do you have any ideas why Elisha didn't accept it? Obviously, Gaze, I didn't have any ideas. In fact, he couldn't think of why he didn't accept it. All he could think of were reasons he should have accepted it take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to turn to the New Testament, and we're going to see a man of God who was dealing with something similar. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had a vision, you remember? And in his vision, there was a man from Macedonia who said, come over and help us. Come and help us. And so, Paul went over into Europe. He went to Philippi. And you remember what happened to Philippi? He got thrown in jail. It was a mess. It was terrible. Once he was released, remember there was an earthquake? Remember the whole story about the jailer? They really had to flee Philippi, and they went to a town called Thessalonica. And you know what? Things didn't go well at Thessalonica either. Paul and Silas were broke. They were refugees. They were fleeing for their lives. But they were also missionaries. They were evangelists going forth, telling the good news of Jesus. And he was with them in Thessalonica for some time, sharing and preaching and teaching. And he left Thessalonica and sometime later later he wrote 1 Thessalonians to them and listen to part of what he wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 for yourselves brethren know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain he's saying remember when we came to you in Thessalonica it was not in vain well why cuz he's writing to brethren That means people heard the gospel, people believed the gospel, and people got saved. It was worth it. It was not in vain. But listen, he reminds them of some details. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. He reminds them. We came from persecution to your town, and it wasn't much better. There was a lot of contention. Remember, some Jews came from Philippi and followed them from Thessalonica. Verse 3, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. We came to you in truth. There was nothing fake or false about how we came to you We came to you in truth. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. He's telling them, we came in a good conscience, knowing that God sees everything and God knows everything. Then look at verse 5. For neither at any time Used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. You see, they could have come in and go, Woe is us, we're poor people, we need money. They could have made up lies, they could have made up stories, but they didn't. In fact, They didn't make up any cloak of covetousness. They were destitute. But they didn't make up lies or deceive or try to get anything out of the people of Thessalonica. They came simply to share the truth with them, even though they actually truly had many needs. Look at verse 6. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ but we were gentle among you even as a nurse nurse cherisheth her children you see he goes on and he tells them we came to you not looking for money we came to you for truth we came to present to you truth even if we had to sacrifice ourselves to do it. And he goes on and saying that this this was, this was affection and, and this was that they could impart to them. And in verse 9 he says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. He's reminding them, we came to you with no cloak of covetousness, no strategy to get money out of you. In fact, we labored and we toiled night and day to support ourselves so that we would not be chargeable to you. So that nobody could say, I supported Paul and Silas. There was no deal. There was no monetary exchange or strategy here. Did you know that's an important piece even still today? We'd be very careful in how we support our missionaries lest our missionaries be chargeable to the people that are with them. And you know what? I think that there's a principle here that transcends time even all the way back into the time before the church in the Old Testament. You see, we have this foreign general who could afford to pay. But Elisha did not want money to get in the way. He didn't want money to get in the way. In fact, we know from Hebrews that Naaman had faith. And you know what? Faith and money don't go together. Well, they actually do, but not in the way we're talking about it. You, you, don't, you don't buy favor with God with money. Now, money and faith do go together in the sense that we need to have faith in God for him to provide for us. And we need to have faith in God and knowing and believing and obeying his principles and how we manage our money. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to faith in God, money can muddy Confuse, distract from what is really important. And Paul knew that in Thessalonica, and that's why he was really careful about it in Thessalonica. I suspect, there is no statement of it, but I suspect that the same was true with Naaman. And Elisha knew it. Elisha wanted Naaman to go back and know that God is the giver of good gifts. And they got his homes, the cattle on a thousand hills. And that he wasn't healed because he was a multimillionaire. And he wasn't healed because he had tons of silver and riches and garments to lavish onto sorcerers and magical healers. No, I think it's not stated, but looking at how Paul handled it and looking at the situation and some of the context. I think that Elisha knew and wanted Naaman to go back saying, trust God. He's the giver of good gifts. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He's the great God. But Gehazi didn't get it. Gehazi isn't like you and me. He didn't have 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He didn't have it. We do. We can know a little bit more than Gehazi did, so we got to be careful about being too hard. But then again, God was pretty hard on Gehazi. You see, Gehazi had another problem. He not only had a cloak of covetousness, he was greedy, a filthy lucre. You see, this is an important truth because Paul wrote to Timothy, his dearly beloved, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he's speaking of the bishop who is the overseer in the church, the pastor. And he says that he must be um, blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, and get this one, not greedy of filthy lucre. What's filthy lucre? Filthy lucre is money that has been gained by badness, by unjust ways, by wickedness, by deceit, by stealing, by deceiving, by lying. That's filthy lucre. Just a note. Money... All by itself is not filthy lucre. The filthy lucre is talking about how the money is gained. That's what it's talking about. And to not be greedy of filthy lucre, which also ties in with loving money. The root of all evil is the love of money, love of it. It's not about the money itself. Money is needed in many situations and occasions. It's about loving it, being greedy of it. And when you love it and when you're greedy of it, it turns into filthy lucre. Because it's ill-gotten. It's unjustly, wrongly, wickedly gotten. Gain. Filthy lucre. You see, Paul writes to the church and says the bishop, the overseer in the church, the pastor is not to be greedy, a filthy lucre. And he goes on and he says, he's but to be patient, not a brawler, and not covetous. Guess what? If you've got somebody who's covetous, he's going to be greedy, a filthy lucre. And so, Gehazi is trying to think, how can I get some money? How can I get some of those garments? Naaman can afford it. Why did Elisha turn it down? I will receive it. And notice what he says: "As the Lord liveth." Ooh, this is taking the name of the Lord in vain. As the Lord liveth. He will run after him and take somewhat of him. And so, Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him. And he says to him, Is all well? All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray, the talent of silver and two changes of garment. Oh, wait a minute, Gehazi. Look what Gehazi said. He was asked, Is all well? Shalom. Shalom. All's well. And then he makes us lie. My master, who is your master, Gehazi? Tell me, did Elisha send him after Naaman? No. Elisha had just in front of you refused his gifts twice, even when he pushed him and urged him. And now he comes and he lies through his teeth saying, my master sent me. One of the Ten Commandments is this, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Gehazi is bearing false witness. Now, there may have been two young men from Mount Ephraim who had come. In fact, maybe they were the very two that had just shown up in Haha moment for Gehazi as a good excuse to go. And they were likely and possibly actually with Gehazi. And the reason, well, I don't know. got these two young men. Who are they? Is it real? Are they true? I, does it say. So he makes it up, don't give me, give them. See, he's making it look like he's not selfish. Elisha's not selfish. It's for these poor seminary students. They need help. So, Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. Oh, Naaman, he lights up. He gets excited. And you know what he says? Be content. Take two talents. Take two talents. Oh, Gehazi. You see these measly bags here? Charlie, do you know how much you weigh? Did your mom know how much you weigh? 80 pounds. Do you know how much she weighs? 65. Okay. Well, you know what? The amount of silver he's going to give him is two talents. Did you know a talent is about 75 pounds? So we got to go pick up Charlie and carry him out. That's how much silver. Times two. Is this gift. A lot of silver. Two talents of silver. And look how, look how Nahum said it. Do you see his first two words? Be content. Take two. I wonder if he knew, on the inside, what was going on. Don't know. But Gehazi, I wonder how that word came through, content. Right in the conscience, be content, take two. Be content, take nothing. I wonder if his conscience was screaming that. Be content, be content, take nothing, take nothing, take nothing, tell the truth. No. Well, maybe they had a little debate. Maybe Gehazi said, oh no, 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 I'll just take one. It's implied there was little of argument here. Why? Because it says that he urged him. He had to beg him to take two. Really? Sounds like more deception on the part of Gehazi. But how is Gehazi going to carry two Charlies back home? How's he going to do it? Well, Naaman, he has a plan. So he binds two talents of silver in two bags, big bags, and two changes of garments. Oh, yeah, I'll bet you're name brand, too. Two changes of garments. And he laid them on two of his servants. And they bare them before Gehazi. So they start coming back to town. Carrying all that silver, two servants, and Gehazi. Now you got a problem. You're carrying two Charlies of silver into town. People are going to see. People are going to know. So before he gets to town, you see here it says that when he came to the tower... Well, what this was is before you actually got to the town, this town apparently had a tower that was set up a little ways from town so that the watchmen could see if enemies were approaching. And on this particular day, I don't know if the watchmen were there, but nonetheless, before he gets to the town, he stops at the tower and you got another idea. You're going to hide the silver and the garments, he's going to hide it. So they stop at the tower a little bit outside the village of the town, the city, likely the city of Samaria, and he takes from the hand of those servants, those two big bags of silver, and he bestowed them in the house. He hid them in the house. I wonder what deal he made with the watchman. And he let them men go. They departed, they went back to Naman. And he continues on into the city, and he comes to his master. And he went in, and he stood before his master. And Elisha said him unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Thy servant went nowhere. Hmm. Lie, 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 lie. Let me tell you about a verse in the scriptures. You know, God knows everything. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 13, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in God's sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, it's given in Hebrews as an encouragement to us. To not be afraid to come to Jesus, our high priest, knowing that he already knows all of our problems and everything about us. So we should be bold to come to him and tell him all that we need. It's somewhat similar here. But Gehazi isn't bold to come, knowing that God knows everything. Just like Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about money too, didn't they? And did God know about that? He sure did. God knows everything! He lied. Elisha responded. Went not my heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and manservants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall clave unto thee and to thy seed forever. Gehazi got the silver, he got the garments. But on this day, as he walked out of the presence of Elisha, the leprosy of Naaman infected him. He went out to leper as white as snow. Notice another phrase that it says that it will cleave to thee and to thy seed forever. That says descendants. I honestly don't think you ever married or had any descendants. God judged him. You know what? Greedy of filthy lucre, lying and deception is a serious matter. Look how Gehazi was judged. And in the New Testament era, the church, granted the founding and early days of the church where sign wonders were prevalent, God judged Ananias and Sapphira by taking their lives. Let's tell the truth. And let's be careful not to be covetous, not to use a cloak of covetousness, deception, or deceit. But be true. And honest. First Thessalonians, by the way, later on talks about working to him that will not work, neither should he eat. It's important for us to labor with our hands and be diligent. Let's learn from Gehazi. Father, thank you for this record. Thank you for this history. May we learn from Gehazi. May we also learn, Father, from the little maid who told of the man of God in Israel. And may we be faithful witnesses of you. You, the one who raises people from the dead. May we go forth in this day and this week, proclaimers of your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.